Our sermon text for this morning comes from Psalm 146. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you show us here in Scripture who you are, and you teach us what it means for us to be people whose hearts are being formed after you, that we might become people who are more and more like you. So move in these moments by your Spirit to conform us, to your image, that we might reflect you to this world, that we might be changed by your love for us. Let me pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I sometimes wish that God would just tell me, crystal clear, plain as day, exactly what he wants me to do, what his will for my life and these specific situations and decisions I have to make, what what I should do. Um, And, you know, you can look through Scripture, and sometimes we get very clear uh, directives. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's extremely clear. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Those are super clear. But I mean in the specifics, in the specific details of life and all these decisions we face. You know, I remember being a teenager, and I'm thinking, you know, college, spouse in the future. Should I go to college at all? If I do, where do I go? What should I look for in a spouse? Should I, should I get married? Uh, you know, I, I wish that lightning had struck the sky and it had written out in the lightning, uh, go to Campbell University or Mary Angela, but that didn't happen. Um, I, I even remember being in like fourth, fifth grade. People are asking me what I want to study when I grow up. What do I want to do as a career? Um, it would have been great to have, I don't know, <laughs> magic eight ball, shake it up and say, yes, no, maybe. Uh, ask later, but that didn't happen for me. Um, in fact, for me and for you as well, the vast majority of our life, we're faced with all these decisions that if we look through Scripture, we're going to look in vain for specific directives about you know what car to buy, <laughs> where we should live, those kinds of things. Um, that's most of the time not how God operates. And the question is why? Why don't we get specific directives? Why don't we get a magic eight ball to help us make uh, decisions? I think it's partly, at least, this. Because God doesn't want to just interact with us like robots that he programs and presses play and we go off and do exactly what he wants us to do. I think he wants to interact with us meaningfully. Meaning he doesn't just want to make us do the right things He wants to engage us in our affections, the things that we we love. 
He wants to engage us in our imaginations at the deepest level, not just to be uh, creatures and things that do stuff, but to be uh, people who um, are being formed to value what he values, to love what he loves, to walk forward in meaningful action and relationship with him. And so, more often than not, in Scripture, we get passages like Psalm 146 that doesn't just you know, rattle off a list of things to do, but it reveals to us who God is, tells us what He's like, what He values, and it engages our affections and our imaginations to reorient ourselves and our lives to reflect Him. So why do I bring this all up? Why Psalm 146 today? Well, we are nine days out from the general election in 2020, and I think I've read a couple of dozen articles in the last few weeks about um, here's how, specifically how, every Christian should vote. And so I've read them from all perspectives. I've read folks who said, here's why a Christian could only ever support the Republican Party uh, and Donald Trump. I've read the ones that say, here's how a Christian could only ever support the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, the Libertarian Party. I've read some that even said, here's why Christians shouldn't vote at all. And what I think all of these articles have had in common is that they are uh, just giving us directives. Here's God's will for your vote. Here's what you should do. Here's the owner's manual um, for exactly what you should do. Um, but here's the problem. If you pick up the Bible right now and you look through all 66 books and try to find a passage that says, thou shalt vote for the Republican Party, thou shalt vote for the Democratic Party, you're going to search in vain. It's not there. But what is there are passages like Psalm 146 that show us who God is and invite us not just to uh, do one thing, but invite us to reorient in our, our entire lives toward God, to reinterpret, to put on new lenses for the world around us, um, not just giving us stuff to do, but inviting our imaginations, inviting our affections to be people who value what, value, what God values and love what God loves. And so let's look at Psalm 146. We'll find here in these, uh, these few verses, uh, I think, <laughs> what I'll call our 2020 voter guide. Um, what sh we, as people who are, um, uh, have been redeemed by Jesus, should be about. First, notice how uh, in verse 1, even the way this psalm is structured reorients us. Notice that first sentence, praise the Lord. Now, you know, scroll down to verse 10, the very last verse of this psalm, praise the Lord. It's bookended by the same phrase, a directive to us as readers, as people who are hearing this, that first and foremost, before we get to issues of politics, and this is a psalm that is profoundly about what we would call politics, that we are invited as to put a, as header above everything, to orient the entire discussion toward the praise of God, our Creator, to be oriented toward Him. And now, uh, this word praise, it's literally hallelujah. Uh, when we sing or pray the word hallelujah, that's what's behind this word uh, praise in Hebrew. Um, it's a word that doesn't just mean doing actions. 
as far as like uh, singing praises. But, you know, that kind of thing is included in it. But it, it's a word that, that, that uh, means being pointed toward. Um, for us to say praise the Lord, it means be faced toward the Lord. Interpret everything through the lens of who He is. And that's what this psalm is about. When it tells us to praise the Lord, it isn't just saying, you know, go to a worship service on Sunday or sing some songs. It's saying He is worthy of orienting your entire life around, and here's what that means. So this is what's going on in the psalm. Um, but he doesn't just say, again, uh, praise the Lord. Look, as back in verse 1, it says, praise the Lord Oh, my soul. The psalm's not just uh, telling us, as people who are reading it today, to praise the Lord. The psalm writer, the person who wrote this down, is even talking to himself. He's reminding himself, praise the Lord, not just through outward actions. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul, my whole life. And that's the emphasis here. Look at verse 2. He says, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. He's saying that praise of the Lord is to be the primary header over his entire life, no matter what he does, no matter how long he lives, outwardly and inwardly, that God is worthy of being lifted up as king, not human leaders. According to this psalm, there's a great temptation for us to turn from orienting ourselves toward praise to God who created us, who wants uh, us to flourish and thrive in relationship with Him. There's great temptation in us turning from Him to orient ourselves toward even good leaders, to see them as ultimate, and to get off course, and for that to take us the wrong way. So what's left for us? We live in a world with tons of human leaders making tons of promises, and sometimes there are good human leaders with good policies. What does it mean for us to not look to them as our help and to look to God? What's left to us? Well, uh, it's what's left to us is to turn not to human leaders who die and their plans, you know, uh, as he says, their uh, plans come to nothing but to look to the God who lives forever. As he says here, the God who is faithful forever, um, who, who reigns forever, this great king who made all things and upholds all things and who invites us to turn from the, the kingdoms of this world to find our all in his kingdom. And in Jesus, we are brought into, the scripture says, the, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son that the Father loves. We're brought into the kingdom of Jesus with him as our king. Now, this isn't to say that politics or whatever kind of situation we have going on on, on the earth isn't important. This psalm's not an invitation for us to uh, turn our back to the world around us or to pretend like the world doesn't exist or to cloister away and become hermits. That's not what this is talking about. Um, what it's doing is inviting us, again, to reorient our lives and to see God and His gracious reign as our King as the lens through which we interpret everything around us. And so we're invited for politics or for whatever it may be, whatever decisions and situations that we have to make in our world, we're invited 
to interpret that and see that under the rubric, under the header of God, this gracious God who tells us who he is in just a few verses and what he's about to orient all of our life under his reign. And so that impacts everything. That impacts uh, all kinds of decisions. It impacts um, specifically this morning what we're talking about, our politics. Now, again, this is not a uh, you-must-vote-Republican. This is not a you-must-vote-Democrat. This is not a you-must-vote-X-Y-and-Z. This is an invitation for us to look at who God is and have our hearts oriented toward Him, have our minds oriented toward Him, and act in our life accordingly, to step out from that and interpret all things under His reign. So, what's it like to live with God as our King? What kind of King is He? What's He about? Well, the rest of this psalm, starting in verse uh, 7, we could call it uh, God's uh, party platform. (laughs) This is his political platform. This is what God's about. This is what his reign is about, what he values and what he invites us to value as well. So uh, let's look at it. Start at verse 7. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow but what? He frustrates the ways of the wicked. This is it. This is his platform. This is what matters to him as king. This is not an invitation to the Democratic platform or the Republican platform. This isn't socialist. This isn't uh, capitalist. This is the kingdom of God. This is telling us who our king is and what he values. Here's the deal. I'm well aware Psalm 146 in a world such as ours can feel like a bunch of empty campaign promises. We're people who have seen lots of politicians who have made lots of promises, who have broken their word. So the question for us this morning is, is God a king that's worth praising? Is God a king worth paying attention to? Or are these just empty words in a world full of empty words? Well, the profound good news for us is that in Jesus, God's words aren't just words that are said. As the Gospel of John chapter 1 says, the word, God's word, became flesh. And these things that could feel like empty words were put into action in Jesus Christ. God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. So these aren't just empty campaign promises in the person of Jesus Christ. They are fulfilled. Jesus came into this world, and though he deserved honor and praise, he deserved to be recognized as the king of God's kingdom, he was what? Rejected. He was turned away from. He was humiliated, even to the point of the shameful death of his crucifixion on the cross. Jesus faced all this. He was oppressed. He faced injustice. He was imprisoned and executed. But in this happening, Jesus made a way of freedom for us so that the oppressed, the hungry, so that the prisoner, that the blind, that those who are bowed down and forgotten might hear a better word about them than the shame 
and the sin that had been pronounced on them by the world around them. That, that, that we might hear a word that God's grace is stronger in Jesus than our sin. And in his resurrection from the dead, his grace is even stronger than death and its finality. And when we come to him by faith, resting that we are who he says we are, we are also invited to be people in his kingdom who reflect him as, as king, valuing what he values. And so these things that are true of God, these campaign promises fulfilled in Jesus, they become, in a sense, our platform for life. And so because Jesus upheld the cause of the oppressed and was with them, we become people who stand with those who are oppressed because he fed the hungry and he feeds the hungry. We become people who are geared towards seeing those who have needs, having those needs met because he cared about the prisoner and the blind. He cared about the widowed. He cared about the fatherless and the stranger and the foreigner. We become people who care about all of those people too, no matter what the world around us is saying, no matter if the world around us thinks that that's stupid or not. That becomes the kind of people that we are because this is the kind of king that we serve. And so for us, this becomes not just a voter guide for nine days from now, a voter guide that we look to every couple of years when we're filling out a ballot. This becomes a whole life reorientation to God and to the world around us, to be oriented toward him as our great king who is worthy of praise and oriented to the neighbor, the people that are beside us, that we are sent to love as God loves. So at the polls, but not just at the polls, at our jobs, in our homes, in the day-to-day, Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday of our lives, let's become people who take cues from our king. Let's value what he values and love what he loves. Let's praise him, not just with words and not just in song. Let's praise him with all of our life. And let's reorient and reinterpret the world around us to see it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Let's not put our hope in princes. Let's not put our hope in politicians. They cannot save. Their plans come to nothing in a day. But let's put our hope in the God who reigns forever. And let's find his grace time and time and time again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in us right now as we are reflecting on these words that we've heard from Psalm 146 to make us people who live um, with you as our king, becoming like you in every way. Make this true of who we are, uh, both as individuals and together as a church. Um, Make this true... Uh, of us in every area of our life, not just at a ballot box, not just at the polls, but in every place that you have put us. We pray all this um, in your grace and in the name of Jesus. Amen.